What's up, Epic? How's everybody today? You had a great week this week? All right, good deal, good deal. We're going to wrap up our series that we started a few weeks ago called Alexa. Um, And I don't know about you, but uh, I've learned an awful lot through this particular series, and I hope that you have too. And I just want to say thank you uh, for engaging in this series every single week, and we're going to wrap it up today, and I'm super excited about what we're going to, uh, what we're going to learn. My name is Brian, and uh, I'm the newest pastor on staff, and I just want to say thank you to everybody that's just been so friendly and so welcoming and so uh, warm with me and my family and just allowing us just to kind of jump in and be a part of what God's doing here um, at Epic. Uh, my very first week uh, on the job, so to speak, we had a teaching team meeting and uh, Trent said, Brian, man, we really want you to help us out with the Alexa series. Would you be willing to do a couple of the parts in the Alexa series? And I'm like, yeah, man, I'm here. That's what I want to, uh, what I'm what I'm here for is just kind of make whatever contribution I can. And he said, well, we want you to do two parts. And I said, all right, just whatever you want me to do, that's fine. No problem. He said, we want you to explain, no pressure, but we want you to explain the purpose of life. All right. And we want you to explain how Jesus is God. And at the end of that teaching team meeting, I'm like, oh no, what did I get myself into? But Uh, I'm going to jump in and do the best I can today because what we're doing, if this is your first time with us, we're so glad that you're here, but what we're doing is we're looking at some of the big questions that people are asking um, about life, and we're looking at them through the lens of the Bible because we believe the Bible is our roadmap for life. We believe it has the answers uh, to all the big questions that people have about faith, about God, about life, about relationships, you name it, we believe we can go to the Bible to get the answers um, that we need. But when we were talking about the topics of the, of, of the series and, and uh, Trent kind of shared that, hey man, I want you to wrap it up today and we want, to, we want to try to answer the question, who is Jesus and what difference does that make in our life? So that's what we're going to try to tackle today. And my mind immediately went uh, to, to the mission of Epic Church. And if you've been around Epic for, for a long time, you should know this by heart. If you're new, here's what we want you to know about why we exist. The mission of our church is to lead people into a life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ. To lead people into a life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ, not into a relationship with Pastor Trent and Pastor uh, Tim and Pastor Brian and all the other leaders. There's some good people around Epic, but the mission uh, that we have at a church is to lead people into a life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ. So doesn't it make sense that if that's our mission, that that drives everything that we do, doesn't it make sense that we understand a little bit about who this guy named Jesus really is? And to begin with, I want to go back to where we started in week number one. Trent started off the Alexa series in Matthew chapter number three, and he helped us answer this question right here, who is God? And what Trent did is he showed us in in scripture, in Matthew chapter number three, this very clear picture of how God exists. Uh, God exists as God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. That's what's known as the Trinity. And the point that Trent made in week number one is that God is Trinity. So I want to begin there just to kind of help lay a little bit of a foundation for where we're going today as we zero down in on this second person of the Godhead, this guy that we know um, as Jesus Christ. Because Jesus himself said in John chapter 10 and verse number 30, Jesus said, the Father and I 
are one. And what Jesus was saying there is that I am co-equal with the Father. Uh, I am literally God in the flesh. So I want to begin in Mark chapter number one today. This is the same event that Trent unpacked for us in week number one in Matthew chapter number three. It's just from a little bit of a different perspective because Mark's gospel does something that the other gospels in the New Testament do not do. Uh, the other gospels start with Jesus's birth and, and his celebration of his birth in Bethlehem. We celebrate that at Christmas every single year. Mark, however, was tasked with helping us to understand this idea of how God became a man. So I want to look at that same event from Mark's perspective and just point out this idea of God being Trinity so that we can lay the foundation for where we're headed today uh, to talk about Jesus, okay? So in Mark chapter one, starting in verse number nine, here's what it says. It says, one day Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and John baptized him in the Jordan River. Now that guy, John, there is the, is the guy by the name of John the Baptist. He was the one that God sent to be born in this world to announce that God was going to become man and that Jesus was going to be born. And, and the Bible says that when Jesus began his public ministry, he goes from Jerusalem or from Galilee down to the Jordan River because that's where John is making converts and baptizing people and teaching and preaching about the kingdom of God. And then a Along comes Jesus, John recognizes him as the Messiah, and he's going to baptize Jesus to begin his public ministry. And it says there in verse number 10, as Jesus came up out of the water, he saw the heavens splitting apart and the Holy Spirit descended on him like a dove. And a voice from heaven said, you are my dearly loved son and you bring me great joy. So here in Mark's gospel, we see the same thing that Matthew saw in Matthew chapter number three, when Trent was talking to us in week number one, we see God, the father, we see God, the Holy spirit, and we see God, the son. And we see there a very clear picture of how God exists as Trinity. That word Trinity just literally means that God exists in three persons, God, the father, God, the son, and God, the Holy Spirit. Now, when you think about that, I don't know what that does to you, but for me, and I'm a simple person, I'm not the, the sharpest tool in the shed, so to speak, but for me, the concept of God existing in three person is one of these things for me. It's just, it just blows my mind. Uh, there, I just, it's just have a hard time wrapping my mind around this idea of how God could exist in three particular personalities and three particular people. So to help me make sense of it, I, I want to try to help you make sense of it today. And again, I'm a simple person. So I want to illustrate this idea of the Trinity today by showing you an egg. All right. How many of you like eggs? Anybody got like eggs? All right. I like eggs. They give me energy in the morning. Uh, one of my favorite breakfast foods. But, but did you know that an egg has three parts? It has a shell. It has an egg white. And then it has a yolk. Three distinct parts, but yet it's one egg. 
Now, don't, un, don't, don't ask me to explain how this egg happens, but here's what I've learned. Uh, what I've learned is that it, this egg can be formed in, in, inside of a hen and can be hatched without ever having inter, interaction with a rooster. Uh, now, I know a little bit about um, human reproduction because I have two boys, all right? So, so I understand what it takes to procreate, all right? But here's the thing I want you to know about this egg, and here's the thing I want you to know about God existing as the Trinity. Just because I don't understand how a hen can create this in her, in her womb, so to speak, and, and, and can hatch this for my benefit, just because I don't understand that does not mean that I don't go to Publix and buy a dozen of these things and take them home and crack them over, over a hot Skittle and scramble them up and put them in a pan and put some butter on it, put some cheese on top of it, and consume it for my benefit. Am I making you hungry yet? All right. Promise you I'm going to get you out of here before lunchtime. But just because I don't understand how this can become and how this can happen does not mean that I don't consume it for my benefit. Does that make sense? And just because I don't understand everything about God existing as Trinity, as God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit does not mean that I can't exercise a measure of faith to believe that God exists that way and desires to relate to me in that way. So put yourself in John the Baptist's shoes for just a moment. Out there in the wilderness at the Jordan River and about to baptize Jesus Christ, the Son of God, literally God in the flesh. Can you imagine what it must have been like to look eyeball to eyeball with your creator? To stand face to face with the man that the Bible says fashioned you in your mother's womb and knew every single thing about you before you were ever conceived in the womb. John is standing eyeball to eyeball with his very creator. And the reason we need to understand the enormity of that statement is because Christianity boasts of something that no other world religion boasts of today. Christianity boasts of the fact that God in all of his power, in all of his might, in all of his glory, in all of his perfectness, God chooses to set aside his deity as God to leave heaven a perfect place and to be born into this world as a human being and live life just like you and I live life. That says an awful lot about God to me. That says that I'm special to God. That says that, that God wants to have a relationship with me so much that he would choose to leave a perfect place and be born into this world as a human being and experience life like I experiencing life with flesh and blood and hurt and pain and sickness and sorrow and shame and choose to be in a relationship with me. So today I want to talk about this idea of Jesus being God. Uh, the theological term for that is, is what we call the incarnation. Uh, it comes from a Latin word that literally means becoming flesh. 
And in John chapter one, verse number 14, the Bible says this, it says, so the word, and now that word, word right there, capital letter word is a reference to Jesus. It's a reference to this guy that John the Baptist baptized in Mark chapter number one. And it says, so the word became human. He became flesh and made his home among us. Again, what an amazing thought that is that, that God in all of his perfection, in all of his glory, in all of his holiness would choose to put on flesh and blood and be born into this world just like every single one of us are born into this world and to live in an imperfect place like planet earth and be willing to show his love by dying on a cross being buried in, buried in a tomb and resurrecting from the grave three days later. See, this idea of incarnation, it's the idea uh, of, of a human being taking on a supernature. It's the idea of a, of a superhuman, so to speak, taking on an additional nature and an additional um, identity. Now, I don't know what that, uh, what, conjure, what, what that conjures up in your mind, but for me, the first thing that comes to my mind when I think about a superhuman or when I think about somebody taking on a different character or a different nature, the first thing I think about is superheroes. Uh, do we have any superhero fans in the house, all right? I grew up being a superhero fan, all right? And with all the superheroes that are coming out of Hollywood, I, I wanna kind of help you understand how Jesus was the ultimate superhero. Jesus wasn't a fictional person. We're going to learn that in just a minute. He was the real deal, but he was literally all God and all man at the same time. And when he came into this world, he took on a superhuman nature that allowed him to live outside of the laws of nature because he created them. You know who these two guys are right here? This is Xavier from the X-Men. We got any X-Men people in the house, all right? Uh, this is X-Men, Xavier from the X-Men, and this is uh, Martian Manhunter from DC Comics, okay? Now, their superhuman gift, their superhuman fictional gift is this idea of telepathy. Uh, but I wanna show you from the Bible today how that Jesus actually wrote the script for all the superhuman heroes, all the superheroes that we have coming out of Hollywood today. Jesus actually was the very first superhuman. These two guys had the gift of telepathy. Telepathy, not telepathy, that's eating fish, isn't it? All right, Tele telepathy, they, they could read people's minds. They could know what people are thinking just by being in their presence. And can I tell you something? Jesus did the same thing uh, in, uh, in Matthew chapter number nine. These verses aren't gonna come on the screen. So just listen real intently uh, as I read them for you. In Matthew chapter number nine, Jesus heals this person who is paralyzed. And the reason Jesus could heal him is because he was superhuman. He had an additional nature that was above the human nature. And Jesus was going around in his ministry and doing all kinds of superhuman things, healing people, forgiving their sins, raising the dead, touching the blind, doing, doing all these amazing miracles because Jesus was the original superhero. And he, he heals this guy in Matthew chapter number nine. And the religious leaders of Jesus's day, they were the skeptics. 
because they didn't believe that Jesus was God in the flesh. They didn't believe that God would lower himself to become a human being. So they started making accusations against Jesus and they started questioning everything that Jesus was doing in public and Jesus knew it. Listen to what it says in verse number three. It says, but some of the teachers and the religious law, uh, uh, the religious law said to themselves, that's blasphemy. Does he think that he is God? And then listen to what it says in verse number four. But Jesus knew what they were thinking. So he asked them, why do you have such evil thoughts in your hearts? Uh, uh, Xavier and Manhunter, those are fictional people. But Jesus did what they claimed to do. What about this guy right here? This is my favorite superhero of all time right here. Batman. Batman could hide his identity as who? Come on, y'all help me out. Bruce Wayne, okay? Batman could, could kind of hide his identity as, uh, as Bruce Wayne. You know what? And that's kind of cool that people don't recognize him uh, uh, as Bruce Wayne. And then he comes out as, as Batman and does all these superhuman things. But again, Jesus was the original uh, superhero. I want to take you to the passage of scripture where, where Tim taught from us last week. Remember Tim was telling us about these two guys that saw Jesus crucified. And after they buried his body in a tomb, they began to make their way back home to the city of Emmaus. And as they were walking along the road, the Bible says that Jesus came and began to have a discussion with them. And listen to what it says there in Luke chapter 24, verse number 13. It says that same day, the day that Jesus resurrected from the grave, two of Jesus's followers were walking along to the village of Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. And as they walked along, they were talking about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things, Jesus suddenly came and began walking with them. But look here, verse number 16, but God kept them from recognizing him. They didn't recognize Jesus as the resurrected son of God. Then there's this guy right here. It's Nightcrawler. Doesn't look much like a superhero. He, he looks more like a super demon to me is what he looks like, all right? Uh, but, but Nightcrawler has this superhuman ability to teleport himself from one location to the next location just like that. If you grew up watching Star Trek, it's the old beam me up Scotty routine, okay? I'm here one moment and then I'm someplace else the next moment. And again, Jesus wrote the script for teleporting because it actually happened in this actual encounter. If you go down to the end of the chapter, verse number 24, Jesus makes his way with the disciples, has those conversations. They sit down to have a meal and then all of a sudden their eyes were open supernaturally and they realized that this was Jesus that they just saw crucified a few hours ago. And listen to what the text says in verse number 31. It says, suddenly their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And at that moment, he disappeared. Bloop, he's gone. And at that moment, he disappeared. Where did Jesus go? Well, to answer that question, you got to go to John chapter number 20, because some of his other disciples were back in Jerusalem, seven miles away, all right? And and I know that's not a a terribly long distance, but in Jesus's day, with no cars and no transportation and no airplanes and no taxi cabs and no Uber drivers and all that kind of stuff that we have today, it it wasn't something you just did uh, on on any time 
time you chose to do it. But seven miles away in John chapter 20 and verse number 19, it says that same evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. And look here, and suddenly Jesus was standing among them. Bloop, from Emmaus to Jerusalem. Jesus was the original superhero. And then probably the most well-known uh, superhero of all time, there's, uh, there's Superman. In addition to his superhuman strength, what was Superman known for, all right? Huh? He's flying, right? Okay, up, up, and away, right? That was his deal. And he got ready to go somewhere. Uh, he just strapped on his cape, and he just lifted himself up, and he just went wherever he wanted to go. Well, again, Jesus is the ultimate superhero because Jesus did this after he resurrected from the grave. Listen to what Acts chapter one and verse number nine says. After he gathered his disciples on the mountaintop and he gave them this last kind of pep talk and this charge, this commandment to love God with all their heart and all their soul, all their mind, all their strength and to love their neighbor as himself. And he said, go and make disciples of all nations and baptize people in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Then listen to what the Bible says happened in verse number nine. Acts chapter one verse 9 after saying this he was taken up into the clouds while they were watching and they could see him no longer and as they strained to see him rising into the heavens Jesus was the original superhuman Jesus was the original all God and all man at the same time and here's what I want to do today I want to kind of work from the premise that Jesus is God. I wanna kind of work from the premise that Jesus is God. And here's what I just want you to know that it's gonna kind of take uh, to, to really get that. It's gonna take you and I exercising a measure of faith to where we believe that God exists just exactly like he's revealed himself to us in his word. He exists as God the Father. He exists as God the Son. He exists as God the Holy Spirit. And Jesus is God. Now, I, now let, me ask you, let me ask you this question real quick, all right? Uh, what does faith mean to you? The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse number six, it says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. So think about faith this way for just a moment, all right? Faith is like a muscle. The more you exercise it, what happens? The stronger it gets, the more that it grows, all right? more energy that, that, that it has, all right? So, so faith is a muscle that we have to exercise. And what I want us to understand today is faith is not some of this, this, this far out super spiritual idea that we can't grasp because we're human beings. Faith is actually something that we exercise on a regular basis. We just might not recognize it as faith. Let me give you a couple of examples. How many of you have ever flown on an airplane? Let me see your hand, all right? If you've ever flown on an airplane, you know what you did when you stepped on that airplane? You exercised the measure of your faith that that pilot knew how to operate those instruments and that plane had been taken care of so that when you got off the ground from wherever you left to where you landed, wherever you were going, it was gonna get you there from point A to point B safely and correctly. And you exercised the measure of faith when you stepped on that airplane, that it was going to get you where you were going safe. When you came to church this morning, I doubt very seriously if anybody before you got in your vehicle took the time to raise the hood, look at the battery, 
Look at everything under the hood. Close the hood. Crawl underneath. Look at all the shocks and in the springs and the motor mounts and all that and, and did a full, full 12 point inspection, so to speak, before you got in the car, put the ignition in or hit the button. All right. No. What do we do? We open the door. We set down. We put our key in the ignition or we push the button and we exercise the measure of faith that when we turn the key or push the button, what's supposed to happen? Car's going to start. Right. And we exercise the measure of faith. If you had to get on I-95, if you had to get on Belterre Parkway, or you had to get on Palm Cars Parkway, all right, to get here today, you know what else you did? You exercised a measure of faith that whoever that was in that lane beside you in that other vehicle, that they were going to stay in their lane and you were going to stay in your lane. And you exercised a measure of faith and you just made your way from point A to point B to get to where you wanted to go. I was peeking behind the curtain as some of you were walking in today and in a crowd this size, guess what? I did not see anybody this morning before the service started who walked around those benches. You looked at every nut and bolt. You jumped up and down, climbed up, jumped up and down on it. I I didn't see anybody inspect the seats. What did you do? You found your row, you found your place and you sat down. What were you doing? You are exercising a measure of faith that when you sat down, that bench is going to support you and hold you up. Well, it's no different with God. We must exercise a measure of faith that God grows as he relates to us in every situation of our life. So let me ask you something today. Let me just ask you to consider exercising a measure of faith today and believing that Jesus is God. Because I want to really talk about the difference that that makes in our life on a day-to-day basis. And I want to begin by talking about the historical Jesus first. Let's talk about the historical Jesus because you can close your Bibles today. You can close the doors of the churches around the world today and you can set it Christianity aside. And historically, there are some things that we know to be true about Jesus because history has them recorded as actual facts. Here's some of the things we know about Jesus. We know that he's a household name over the entire globe today. That over one third of the earth's population today claims some kind of faith or relationship with this guy named Jesus Christ. That's 2.34 billion people on planet earth who, who, who place some kind of faith or, 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 or submit to have some kind of relationship with this guy named Jesus Christ. History teaches us that he is one of the most influential leaders of all time. His teachings have literally shaped the birth of nations all over the world, including the United States of America that you and I live in today. Yet he only lived to be 33 years old. That's 16 years younger than me. He never traveled more than 100 miles away from his home in Nazareth. He never wrote a book. He never led an army. He never held a political office. And for over 2,000 years since Jesus Christ came to this earth as all God and all man at the same time, for over 2,000 years, he remains the subject of endless conversations, debates, books, controversies, and arguments. And to this day, every single day, people are either imprisoned or die because of him. 
And there's historical evidence that confirms everything that I have just shared with you about the historical Jesus. If you have any questions about the historical Jesus, I would encourage you to read a book called Killing Jesus by Bill O'Reilly. It's not a Bible book. It's not a Christian book. It doesn't have any scripture reference in it. It strictly is a factual account of the life of Jesus Christ. And I would encourage you to pick up a copy and read it sometime if you have any questions about the historical Jesus. But where the rubber meets the road for you and I and for you and I today is this idea of the biblical Jesus. Because what we're doing in the Alexa series is answering life's big questions from a biblical perspective. And I just want to give you three things today. If you can get these three things about Jesus today, it literally has the power to transform and change your life. Three things that we're going to learn about Jesus and how the difference that he can make in our lives. First of all, the Bible tells us that Jesus is our helper. Jesus is is our helper. Look at what it says in Hebrews chapter 13, verses five and six. It says, for God has said, I will never fail you. I will never abandon you. Stop right there. If you don't get anything else I say today, get that promise right there. Because that promise right there says that God will will do two things. He will never, ever fail you. He's never going to let you down and he's never going to abandon you. That's good news today. But he doesn't stop there. He says, so we can say with confidence. Why? Because he's never going to fail me. He's never going to abandon me. So I can say with confidence, the Lord is my, what's the next word? Helper. The Lord is my helper. So I will have no fear. What can people do to me? So you need help with relationships today? Jesus is your helper. You need help with finances today? Jesus is your helper. You need help with an attitude or behavior or anger or jealousy or whatever it is? Jesus is your helper. You need help with a physical issue today? Jesus is our helper. And by way of application, I just want to give you an application as we walk through this every day. How do you access Jesus as your helper? Well, you just got to ask him for help. You just got to ask him for help. One of the greatest resources that God gives us is this idea of prayer. It's this communicating uh, with him. And, uh, and if you will ask Jesus for help, here's what I can promise you. He will absolutely ask you for help. I had to ask Jesus for help this week. Matter of fact, I usually have to ask Jesus for help every day. That's how jacked up I am, all right? But you know what? On Thursday of this week... I got a phone call that I wasn't, I knew I was going to be getting, but I, I, I didn't want to get. I got a phone call on Thursday of this week that uh, my mom shared with me, Brian, the doctors just told me I have colon cancer. I don't know how you process that. But the only way I know how to process that is to say, Jesus, I need help. I don't understand this. It's the last thing in the world I ever imagined or dreamed I'd have to deal with today. And the only way I know how to process that is to go to the one who is in charge, who is in control, who knows all things, and trust what he wants to work out in our lives through this journey. So let me ask you a question today. What do you need help with in your life? And if there's something you need help with in your life, just ask Jesus. He'll never fail you. He'll never, ever, ever abandon you. Second thing the Bible teaches us about Jesus is that he is our defender. 
He is our defender. Look at what it says in Hebrews chapter number seven. It says, therefore, he is able once and forever to save those who come to God through him. He lives forever to intercede. That's an important word. With God on their behalf. He is the the kind of high priest that we need because he is holy and blameless, unstained by sin. He has been set apart from sinners and has been given the highest place of honor in heaven. Unlike those other high priests. Now, the high priest was the go-between between the people and God in the Old Testament. But when Jesus came and died on a cross and resurrected from the grave, he stood in that gap once and for all. He paid the debt once and for all. No longer is it necessary for you and I to have a go-between. The only go-between we need between God and us is this guy named Jesus. And he's perfect. And it goes on to say, unlike those other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices every day. They did this for their own sins first and for the sins of the people. But Jesus did this once and for all when he offered himself as the sacrifice for the people's sins. The law appointed high priests who were limited by human weakness. But after the law was given, God appointed his son with an oath and his son has been made the perfect high priest forever. Whew, that's good. First Timothy chapter two, verse five says, there is one God and one mediator. Again, it's the idea of the go-between, the defender. There is one God uh, and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. First John chapter two, verse number one says, my dear children, I am writing this to you so that you will not sin. Uh, But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate. We have that go between. We have that helper. We have that mediator. We have that defender. Uh, We have an advocate who pleads our case before the father. He is Jesus Christ, the righteous one. And you know what makes me have great joy and great comfort in my life when I screw up and mess up like I do all the time? It's knowing that when I sin and do things that break the heart of God, I've got somebody standing at the right hand of God the Father as my defender and saying, yeah, God, he blew it. Yeah, he said what he shouldn't have said. Yeah, he did what he shouldn't have done. But I paid for that sin when I died on the cross. And he's our defender. So how do you access his defense? Well, you have to offer yourself to God and you have to let him fight your battles. You got to offer yourself to God and you got to let him fight your battles. And then the third thing about Jesus says, not only is he our helper, not only is he our defender, but he's our savior. He is our savior. In Luke chapter two, when the angels we're announcing to the shepherds out in the field when Jesus was born in verse number 11, it says the savior, that's the first term that they called this superhuman baby that was gonna be born in Bethlehem. That's the first term that they used, the savior, yes, the Messiah. The Lord has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. First John chapter two, verse two says, he himself is the sacrifice that atones. That word atones there literally means pays for our sins. He himself is the sacrifice that pays for our sins and not only our sins, but guess what? The sins of the world. Second Peter three eighteen says, grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and who? Savior Jesus Christ. Bible says we're all sinners. 
Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned. You know who that is? That's all of us. All is all. That's me. That's you. We're human. We're imperfect. We're broken. We're sinners. For all have sinned, but Jesus is our Savior. You say, Brian, how could Jesus be our Savior? Because he was all God and all man at the same time. And he could live a perfect life so that we could go to somebody when we need help and answers to the questions that we face in our life. And when he got up out of that grave, he proved once and for all that sin has no, has no hold on us, that death has no hold on us, and that he is the one who can save us from our sins. So how do we apply that to our life? Well, if you want Jesus to be your savior, you got to receive that gift. Salvation is a free gift, the Bible says, that God has extended to us. God's a perfect gentleman. He will never, ever, ever force himself on anybody. He says, I've already done everything necessary to have a relationship with you by sending my son Jesus to this earth to show you that I, I love you as God in the flesh and that I want to spend eternity with you. And I'm offering you this gift of salvation, but you have to receive it. Matter of fact, the Bible says there in John chapter one and verse 12, it says, but to all who did receive him. See, it's not enough just to believe in Jesus. That's good. That's a good starting point. But the Bible says we receive him. He gives us the right to be called the children of God. In other words, I believe that Jesus is the son of God and I'm receiving the eternal free gift of salvation. And when I receive the eternal free gift of salvation, he wipes my sin slate clean and never holds anything against me ever, ever, ever again. That's the gospel. That's the good news. And it's all because Jesus is our helper. He's our defender and he's our savior. There's one Old Testament passage that paints a beautiful picture. So I want to ask you to put your imagination caps on a little bit if you can today and just try to picture this scene in heaven in eternity past. And here's what the Bible says in Zechariah chapter 3. It says, Then the, <clears throat> excuse me, the angel of the Lord showed me Joshua. Joshua represented the people of Israel. The high priest standing before the angel of the Lord and the accuser, Satan, was there at the angel's right hand making accusations against Israel or Joshua. And the Lord said to Satan, I, the Lord, reject your accusations, Satan. See, there's the defender. All right. I, the Lord, reject your accusations, Satan. Yes, the Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebukes you. This man, talking about Joshua, representing Israel, this man is like a burning stick that has been snatched from the fire. And Joshua's clothing was filthy as he stood there before the angels. You know what the filth represents in Joshua's life? It represents our sin. It represents our faults. It represents our failures. Joshua's clothing was filthy as he stood there before the angel. So the angel said to the other standing there, take off his filthy clothes and turning to Joshua, he said, see, I have taken away your sins and I am now giving you these fine new clothes. You know what happens when you make Jesus your helper, when you make Jesus your defender and when you make Jesus your savior? God takes all the hurt and the pain and the baggage of your sin, sinful nature, and he sets them over here at the feet of Jesus, and he takes a pure, white, clean 
clothing and he dresses you with it. And from that moment on, you are forever made perfect in God's sight. Does it mean you're, ever, you're, gonna, you're not going to mess up in life? No, because you're human. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to fall back into a sin nature. But what it means is that we are forgiven. Not because of what we do, but because of what Jesus has done. So here's our big takeaway for today. Our big takeaway for today is this. Jesus has the power to change my life both now and for eternity. Both now and for eternity. And I want to give you just a couple of minutes in the quietness of your, your seat right where you're at. To consider asking Jesus for help if there's something that you need help with in your life. Asking Jesus to defend you if there's something where you need a defense in your life. And asking Jesus to be your savior if you need to invite Jesus to be your Lord and to be your savior. Can I ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment? The reason I do that is so you can just kind of focus on those three things. Let me just ask you a couple questions. Have you asked Jesus for help? Have you asked him to defend you? And have you asked him to be your savior? If the answer to any of those questions is no, why not right now in the quietness of your seat, just talk to God? And whatever it is you need help with today, just ask him for help. He wants to help. Maybe there's something in your life that somebody's just accusing you of something or there's a battle going on. Would you ask Jesus to be your defender today? And if you don't know him as your personal Lord and Savior, would you receive the eternal free gift of salvation? You say, oh, Pastor Brian, how do I do that? It's real simple because it's free. It's an attitude of your heart that says, God, I know I'm, I'm a sinner and I'm not perfect. And God, I'm going to exercise some faith today for the first time. And I believe that Jesus is God's son. I believe that he died for me. And I believe he wants to save me. So would you forgive me of my sins? Would you come into my life? Would you help me? Would you defend me? Would you save me? If that's the attitude of your heart today, I can assure you based on the authority of God's word that you can leave here today adopted into God's family. And you might be saying, Pastor Brian, that sounds so easy. Listen, why would God want to make it hard? He loves you more than you ever imagine or dream and wants to spend eternity with you. And it's an attitude of your heart that says, God, I want to know you in a very real, in a very personal way. In just a moment, I'm going to pray. And after I pray, we're going to dismiss. But if you've made a decision today, I'm going to be hanging out at the care station on your way out. And would you just stop by there and, uh, and just say, Pastor Brian, I made a decision today. Maybe you want somebody to pray with you or for you about something. We're going to be at the care station today. We would love to pray with you or for you, maybe about something that's going on in your life. And I would just encourage you to take that step today. So God, I come to you today just as we are. Thank you for your true word. Thank you that uh, you are our helper. Thank you that you are our defender. Thank you that you are our savior. And God, I don't know what you're accomplishing in people's lives today, but I just believe because you're here today, that you're showing up and you're doing some neat stuff in people's lives. God, thanks for what you've done in my life and for all that you're continuing to do. And God, I know I blow it so many times and I ask that you'd forgive me. Thank you that you restore our relationship and God, you make us right with you when we confess our sins. And if there's somebody here today that's receiving you as Savior and Lord, I pray that you give them a boldness and a courage 
um, just to tell somebody today in the Mapic Public. Maybe stop by the Connection Center, sign up for baptism tonight. And God, just take that step and publicly declare um, that, that they're in your family. They're on your team. Thank you for who you are, for all that you're doing in our midst. May you bring honor and glory and praise to yourself today because we've chosen to gather together in this place. For it's all these things I pray and ask in your name. Amen.